Ready to make it happen? I'm ready. Gotcha. I can't look in your eyes. Why? You're out of my league. <laughs> All right, welcome. Welcome. To the Duke and Duchess podcast. Yep. So, here we are for episode 13. Yay! All bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and red-eyed and dark-eyed, <laughs> bags under the eye. <laughs> I got my podcast buzz on. There you go. It's all good. That's right. <laughs> oh, good. Isn't it amazing how we can just turn it on? What do you mean by it? Like the professionalism. Be more specific. The professionalism. I'm professional all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Stay on brand. That's right. Stay on brand. Okay. So this week we're going to cover chapters 11 through 19 Mm -hmm. of The Wise Man's Fear. Yes. By Patrick Rothfuss. Yes. That's who it's by. Excellent novel. It is. It is. It is. And what are we going to talk about next week? Chapters 20 through 25. Outstanding. So it won't be quite as big a chunk next week. We bit off kind of quite a bit this week. There was a good amount to this weekend, yeah. and a lot happened, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have a lot to discuss. We will do our best to try to stay on topic. Yes. We'll do the best we can. All right, so our quick spoiler policy is very simply that uh, Elizabeth... Oh, by the way, we haven't said who we are. I'm the Duke. So much for professionalism. Right? Right out the window. <laughs> I'm Elizabeth. This is Chad. Mm. We're the Duke and Duchess. That's right. That's right. All right, anyway, back to anyway. back to our, our spoiler policy. Oh my god. <laughs> so, yeah, this this is this is one of the later times we've started. So, those tend to either go really well or not well. <laughs> I think it's going to be hilarious. I think it's going to be great. I'm so tired right now. <laughs> uh, all right. So, anyway, our spoiler policy is that Elizabeth has read these books several times. I have not. So we will not spoil anything through The Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear, uh, Chapter 19, or anything other than that, I should say. Right. So We um, have not read the novellas. Correct. Um, so nothing nothing that's in those either. Yeah, I stay off the Reddit boards. Yes. So you bastards can't get me. <laughs> All right, so last last week we talked about uh, Quoth's trip to the Aeolian to raise money. We talked about his going up uh, for his admissions and the whole Plum Bob incident. And that's sort of kind of where we end up is after him going through the whole admissions process and borrowing money from Devi is where Chapter 11 begins. It was such an interesting transition, and I loved the juxtaposition of, you know, the last section of chapters where Quoth was pretty much just powerless. You know, this thing happened to him that he was completely powerless over and it just wrecked him. It did. This experience with the plumb bob. And then we have in chapter 11, we see him not through any deliberate mechanizations, but just through, you know, his the virtue of his relationship with Ari. We see him accomplish something that he has been trying to accomplish his entire academic career. So I I loved seeing that kind of something kind of click into place when he stopped trying so hard. Well, and that's a huge theme for this whole section of chapters Mm -hmm. because that comes up a bunch in these chapters. But anyway, that's so chapter 11 is where 
uh, we begin, and that's where he meets with Ari. And then they're they're beginning to have a meal when Elodin shows up. And I loved um, this is a really great interaction with both and Ari mm-hmm. uh, in particular. Aren't they're all great. They're all great, but I just for some reason this one um, when he says, "Would you like a pair of shoes?" and he she says, "What would they have in them?" and he says, "Your feet." Yeah, <laughs> it's just very sweet, and it seems like to me the experience with the plum bob and where she goes into his room and sees him crying, that their relationship has gone to the next level. Well, I, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. She, yeah, she gives him a kiss on the head. It, it's really a, a special thing. And Aladdin shows up and it's pretty clear, although it takes quote a while to pick up on it, that Aladdin and Ari have met before, but Ari still likes Quoth quite a bit more than, than she likes Aladdin. Yes. Um, yeah, it's obvious that they know each other. And it's so interesting how um, we see Quoth's expectations of Elodin, the way he has characterized him in his mind, sort of unravel a little bit. And we see Quoth just really be caught flat-footed as to how to deal with this. And I, I love how, you know, we just talked about how this relationship has gone to the next level. And so it feels very organic and natural that Quoth would react the way he does in order to protect her. Yeah. You know, thinks about throwing Elodin off a roof. In a, you know? in a moment of plumb bob inspired weakness. Right. Yeah. So yes, or Quoth and Ori and Elodin have probably the most awkward dinner ever it's pretty awkward it's pretty awkward (laughs) what really struck me about this whole interaction was how and we've talked about this before how ari brings out the best in quoth you know this whole time first of all quoth only gloats once that eladin is out of you know here's eladin finally out of his element, mm-hmm. not sure how to act, and Quoth only like mentions it once. His whole concern is for Ari and her safety. And this is the first time we've ever seen Elodin and Quoth together where Quoth has not been desperately scheming to get Elodin t- to teach him. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like the roles are reversed here as well in, in a couple of ways because this is a situation where Quoth knows his way around, and Quoth has the power, and Elodin is the one who's really kind of the novice in this situation, the one who hasn't been able to figure out Ari. Yeah, and and at no point does Quoth attempt to leverage that. There's no, there's nothing self-serving. No, in his, um, in in this interaction, and we've never seen that before. And I couldn't help but contrast this interaction where he's trying to protect Ari. And again, we see the best of his character come out. We see him acting truly selflessly, not thinking about what he wants or needs. Hmm. And the way we see him act around Denna. And I I mean, it's just my opinion that she tends to bring out the worst in him. You know, and we, I I compare this interaction with the last time, the last couple of chapters we read where he's at the Aeolian and the guy she's with, that Denna is with, um, puts down Quoth for playing folk music. Yeah. And he just makes a jackass out of himself just to like tweak this guy's nose. He really does. Yeah. And so, you know, he just tends to really make 
poor decisions when it comes to when Denna is involved. She tends to bring out the worst in his character. And I you think she brings that, out the stupid in his character. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, definitely a not great side of his character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The kind of selfish, prideful side she brings out. You know, in, in comparison with Ari, where really she brings out his selfless, selflessness, she brings out his chivalry, he really would do anything to protect her. Mm-hmm. So... Elodin gets to see that for once. Yep. And he, Elodin, uh, gets explained that her name is Ari. He's intrigued by this. It captures his attention. It sort of impresses him that Quoth is able to come up with that name. Right. Uh, he asks where it's from, and Quoth tries to explain it, but once again, it's oh, just... Oh, it's in, it's in Ciaro, from yeah, Ciaro. But it's not, it's just not. like the horse. Mm-hmm. And it's another one of those sleeping mind sort of moments where he just yeah. does something and it's the right thing. Yeah. And at that moment, Elodin says, you know, I, I have a class that you may want to come to. Right. So he invites him to the class. And and one of my favorite lines, too, is um, when Ari is talking about her name and that it's like a flower in her oh, heart. Yeah, yeah. And then she says... If your name gets too heavy, you should have Quoth give you a <laughs> <laughs> Like, this is a guy who knows something about naming. <laughs> you should pay attention to this guy. He's an up-and-comer. <laughs> but at the same time, we see some interesting things about Elodin. And like um, we were starting to talk about it before, Quoth has this idea of Elodin as pretty much being a major prick. And he kind of is. But, you know, when he first, Elodin first steps onto the roof, his face is in shadow. And so Quoth is imagining that he's there scowling and plotting and he's going to lock Ari away and he's, mm-hmm. her, you know. And um, when he steps into the light, Quoth sees that his face isn't like that at all, that he looks concerned, mm-hmm. you know. And then at the end, they're they're wrapping up their meal. Elodin looks over and it says that his eyes were completely and totally sane. Yep. And Quoth is taken aback. So I don't know. I, th- I I just I'm curious about what the implications are there that we don't really know what the deal is with this character yet. No. Yeah, absolutely not. And so Elodin invites him to class and then uh, Quoth explains that he's still banned from the archives. And in what is a hilarious scene. <laughs> so funny. Elodin's like, come with me. And they run over and they knock mm-hmm. on Lauren's window. Mm-hmm. And he's like why you still got my boy banned from the archives, right. you know? <laughs> you know, and he says, well, I'll let him back in the, um, it's not the tombs. The tomes. The tomes. Yeah. I'll let him back in the tomes. It's like, the tomes is for feckless tits. <laughs> my, my boy's got the feck of 20 men. The feck of 20 men. <laughs> it's just hilarious, you know? So funny. And just like that, you know, and just as you alluded to in the very beginning, really without trying, just by being a good person, he manages to finally do what he's been trying to do this whole time, and that is actually impress Elodin. And get into the archives. And get into the archives, exactly. Right. So not at all, well, I mean, he was kind of already into the archives, but not at all how I thought he would get unbanned from the archives. Just like Quoth, I thought he was going to have to do something. Right. Something monumental. Right. To get unbanned, but no, that's not. Or I was beginning to think it wouldn't happen also. I was seriously beginning to think that he was going to get, he was going to, end up leaving the university having never technically or legally been inside the archives. Right. But again, you know, these these tropes constantly are getting turned on their heads in this book. And it's, we're always seeing these instances of when the main character stops trying so hard, that's when things happen for him. Especially you know? in this bunch of chapters. And he stops overthinking things. 
things start to happen for him. Mm-hmm. And you'd think he would start to kind of notice that. And it's so interesting to watch him try to scramble and figure out how to manipulate Elodin into not turning Ari in. And it takes him right back to those days on the streets at Tarbian. And you realize like, oh, that's where this comes from. And I loved that tie back to the previous character. It made it it made it a very real and a very organic part of his character. Mm-hmm. Like that's why he's trying to control everything. That's why he needs to intellectualize everything. Yeah. That's why he can't let go of that waking mind because there's still so much trauma that's not dealt with from his childhood. Yeah, and f- fear of letting go, fear of losing control. Right. And then once once more I noticed that um that Eladin makes another moon reference in his in his promise. So I promise on mother's milk and I promise right. on the ever the ever moving moon. Good catch. So another another moon moon reference. And Ari leads quote through moonlight. Right. In the beginning. Right. And she I think she refers to herself as being lovely as the moon. So mm-hmm. that's right. Yep. Very interesting. All right. So chapter twelve. Wait, so, first. I'm sorry. Can we just talk about the name of Eladin's class? Oh yes. <laughs> and one of the best one of the best lines in the entire series so far. <laughs> He says, and I wrote it. I wrote it down. Uh huh. Says he because he's you know he's registering for classes. Like, oh no, I don't know which class with the name of Eladin's class. And he scans <laughs> through the registers, and it says, "Introduction to not being a stupid jackass." And there's only room for one <laughs> student. One name. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh, that's that's good. That's good. Uh. All right. So now into chapter twelve. That was a well warranted pause in the action. All right, so in chapter 12, Quoth shows up to the fishery. Uh, Kilvin confronts him about some girl who shows up claiming he sold her charms. And um, then he eventually goes on to Elodin's class uh, where Elodin throws a bunch of rocks around or balls around and then throws a rock at a kid and gives everybody a list of uh, books to read. So that's the, the brief chapter summary there. Right. Um, so what do you think that was about? With the Kilvin and the girl looking for a charm. Oh, well, I know what it was about. That was Nina, who is Verania Greyflock from Chapter 82 of The Name of the Wind. She's the girl in the inn who he gave a charm to say, hey, this is a charm that'll keep demons from... And then she comes back and she's distressed. So something has happened. Mm. Something has happened. Something has gone on in Traben. And we and Quoth are none the wiser because when Kilvin confronts Quoth about it, Quoth does not seem to remember. That is very astute observation. It comes back around later when he's talking with Denna, and he. So at first, I wondered if he was when he was talking with Kilvin. I wondered if he was being deceptive. I didn't think that he was, but I thought maybe there was a chance that he was. But then he doesn't react to it and i would think he would want to find this girl right if he remembered and then later he's talking to den and he says did you come to the university right. to look for me so he clearly does not remember right he can't he hasn't put together who it is yet right but this is obviously something important right so we'll find out what that is later I, and i i particularly liked the line that he says to kilvin where Kilvin and he are talking back and forth about whether or not he would have done this. Yeah, yeah. And Quill said, I would never do that. I wouldn't risk being caught. And Kilvin says, well, 
really, you should not do it because it's the wrong thing to do. And Quoth says, if you had that much faith in my moral grounding, we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> and he, I just love how like comfortable he is with his with his own morality. Yeah. Like he knows he's not like someone who's kind of shady, but who doesn't think he's shady. He knows he's like he knows he's a little shady sometimes, he's got a little but bit he's of shady. comfortable with what he does. You know, yeah. he's not heavy in the shady, but he's a little slim in the shady. <laughs> I see what you did there. It's it's not <laughs> worth pointing out. It's not impressive. <laughs> Let's just move on. Okay. All right. So they go to Elodin's class, and this is the first class with Elodin, and mm-hmm. and all the cool kids are there. And Elodin uh, brings them in and and talks to them for a little while and and then he um he he explains that he wants them to to calculate where this rock is going to land when he throws it and they spend all this time trying to calculate it and then Elodin brings a little boy over and says hey here and catch you know throws the rock at the kid and their kid catches it right and so once again this is another example of the sleeping mind and how the sleeping mind is able to do what the waking mind is not able to do, you know? I just love the magic system in this book. It's so well thought out and so grounded in reality. I feel like I should be able to do it. Like, (laughs) I feel like I should be able to, like, I find myself thinking like, oh, I bet I could figure out how to do that. And then I'm like, oh, wait, fiction, still (laughs) fiction. (laughs) Give you a couple iron jots and see if you can link them together. Like, give me a drab. I bet I could, I can bet I could perform a simple binding. I'm not looking for a quadruple binding. That's crazy. Right, that's crazy. It's, it's too much to ask. <laughs> like, wait, no, still made up. So. Still not real. <laughs> but it's so well thought out and, and is, logical. Yeah. I, I really enjoy it. It really makes it the story real for me. The um, the last thing that Elendon does is gives them a list of 20 books to read. And that's kind of what leads us into chapter 13. So any other, did I leave anything out on 12? No, nothing okay. that I have. All right. Chapter so, 13 is called The Hunt. Yes, it is. And this is where they go into the archives. And this time, Quoth goes in with the help of Will and Sims. And they attempt to hunt down Elodin's books. And then they and then Quoth goes back to Elodin's second class. But alas, Elodin never shows. And um, so what I enjoy a lot about this chapter was, again, more interactions with Will and Sim and a little bit more character development with them. And in particular, we get to see how um, Will's job as a scriv, um, how important that is to him. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love at one point he's complaining about students who hide books in the stacks. And he looks at Quoth and he says, if I ever find out that you have done this thing, no God... <laughs> <laughs> will keep you safe from me. And Kavold is like, I'll never do that again. <laughs> yeah, in his mind, yeah. And I found it just so interesting, and we were talking about Kavold and how he's comfortable with his morality, whatever it is, and how comfortable he is with the fact that he's kept this huge secret from them. He doesn't have any qualms or feel any guilt that no. he's he's just bold-faced lying to his two closest friends. Um, and, and he's got a good reason for it, you know, and you see this kind of over and over with this character. If he has a good reason for a lie or he thinks it's a plausible lie, it kind of doesn't count as a lie. It's interesting that you say that because while I read that and I read his comments about it, cause he brings it up himself in the, in the narrative, it didn't really 
stick with me. He didn't really think a whole lot about it, which is interesting because eight or nine weeks ago, I would have, I would have made that a major point. He he's lying to his he's lying to his friends. You right. Know? He doesn't seem to care. Like that would have been something I would have really put a spotlight on, but didn't even really didn't even really phase me at this point because I've just come to expect it. And I I feel like false morality is really tied for what he believes is the greater good. Um, sometimes it's the greater good for himself, but also for the people he cares about. So he lies to Sim and because he knows that Sim can't can't keep a secret, and he would never wouldn't want to put him in that position. Well, and also because he doesn't want to risk anybody finding out about Ari. Exactly. You and know. so he's protecting the people that he cares about and, yeah. and as thus, you know, is able to do something that others might not. Well, and, and the other side of that, though, is that he also wouldn't need to lie to them if he followed the rules. Well, but that wouldn't be much of a story, would it? It wouldn't. It would be very boring. It would be pretty boring. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad he doesn't. <laughs> but I just, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to leave that out that... If he wasn't so impatient all the time, he right. wouldn't find himself in this situation. And it's, yes. the, it's the same thing with what's actually going on in the archives right now, that he goes to this huge effort to hunt down all these books. And he finds, I think, 19, I think it was 19 of the 20 books. Right. He finds all but one of the books. And he goes through this process of reading them. He starts trying to take notes on it. And the whole reason he's doing it is just to impress Elodin. Right. It's the whole reason why he's doing it. And he doesn't realize, he never seems to realize at any point that this whole book list is a giant troll job by Elodin. The books, like Elodin went in there and said, okay, here's the first 20 books off the top of my head. Right. Like he had, they have no bearing on anything at all. But Quoth is so wrapped up in what do I have to do to impress him that he doesn't pick up on it. Well, I think Elodin even says, I don't know. I haven't read all of them. I can't know. <laughs> but I don't think, you know, I, I don't see it as a troll job, honestly. I see it as Elodin. The more I read these books, the more I think that nothing Elodin does is is a throwaway. Mm. Everything he does is deliberate, but it's the way that he thinks and the what he understands is at a higher level than any of the other characters. So he's not understood by them. Maybe some things he does are, are kind of crazy, but you know, um, you know, the, during the emissions interview, when he, when he asked the question about the spades and yeah, I mean, you just, there's freaky. so many yeah. layers and what I see coming out of this is he knew that Kvothe had never been in the archives before. And so he gave him a huge list of books to hunt down. And he talked about, you know, just in the in the scene before with Lauren, he said he needs to he needs to get in the stacks. He needs yeah, yeah. to go learn useless information and he needs a reason to like go hunting through there. Um Yeah, agreed. And apparently, you know, as we find out later, Eladin likes useless information. <laughs> you know, when he plays the game interesting fact. Yeah, I like can't wait to talk about that. Um but it also crosses my mind when you say that, and I hadn't thought about this before, but, you know, maybe that for Elodin is a sleeping mind sort of thing for him, too. He's like, here's 20 books, like, and right. he's just kind of letting that subconscious mind just roll, right? you know, w with the faith that somewhere in there, there's going to be something that's important for somebody, you know, and maybe Quoth 
if he was more tuned into it, would be better able to pick these things up. And maybe he will. Maybe he's, you know, kind of burying seeds that will germinate later at some other time for his sleeping mind. So so maybe there is more, you know, maybe there is more method to the, his madness than I, than I realize. So fair point. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, especially as I read and kind of reread, I can sort of see... I understand more and more about what I think Ellen is trying to say about mm-hmm. letting the subconscious mind take over. And I, I don't think anything he does is just nonsense. And it's more and more frustrating to watch this dynamic build up between him and Quoth where he's, you know, saying things that Quoth doesn't understand, but Quoth is just like, well, if I can't understand it, it must be bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to ignore you. <laughs> and yep. it's like, okay, well, that's you're, dumb. You're not going to figure it out. You're not yeah. going to figure it out. Yeah. Um. It's that whole like fixed versus growth mindset. You know, if I can't understand it right away, then I'm never going to understand it. And why should I try? Um, so, so the chapter ends with Quoth uh, going to Elodin's class along with the, all of his fellow students. These are the cool kids. These are the breakfast club. And Elodin doesn't show. Of course. Of course he doesn't. I mean, he wrote a word on the board. Was that this one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It said discuss. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's all. But then Quoth uh, turns around and just dives headfirst into the archives in the next chapter. Yep. And I wrote I wrote down, he's searching for the Chandrian in all the bad places. <laughs> but not the buggery. But not the buggery, because that's gross. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, so here we get more in depth into the archives and just a a deeper explanation of it. But it it also serves as a way of Quoth kind of highlighting that, all right, he's kind of done with the stuff with Aladdin. Now that he's in the archives, he's kind of getting back to what he originally came here for. And that's to try to find the information on the Chandrian. You know, he, he talks about, you know, kind of going through what's kind of officially listed, but then he realizes that, He's more likely to, or he believes that he's more likely to find the information he's looking for in the areas that aren't organized and categorized neatly. So he starts hanging out in those areas, but ultimately he still only finds children's tales. Right. Right. Very little useful information. However, he's getting just kind of sucked into the the experience of the archives and learning so much so that he neglects going to look for Denna for mm-hmm. some time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which I think is an interesting, um, has some interesting implications. So that's it for chapter 14 for that's me. That's all I, I had anything? for that. It was a yeah. pretty short chapter. So chapter 15, this is the, this is one that I thought was really interesting. So this is going back to Elodin's class when Elodin does show up. And I feel like this is, uh, about as on the nose as you're gonna get right. from Elodin. Yes, you know, interesting fact. They play a game of interesting fact, <laughs> quote unquote, which uh, which he explains that Quoth is crap at. Totally crap. He's totally crap. <laughs> Doesn't even bother to ask him. <laughs> and then, um, so after Fela wins, you know, a game of interesting fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets these like uh, milkweed pods, opens them up in the air, and lets all these little seed pellets, you know, go flying and floating off through the air. Now this is 
after he's just kind of scolded Quoth for not being able to see the lesson that he's teaching him. Right. And he's, you know, and of course, Quoth is trying to find the name of the wind. And Elodin sets these things loose in the air and then proceeds to run around the room chasing them frantically like a madman trying to catch them doesn't manage to catch a single one, but at the moment that he injures himself, falls down and sort of stops trying to catch them, one lands in his mouth. And he, being unprepared to receive it, he nearly chokes himself to death, or chokes on it, not to death, but, and then he gets angry and storms out of the room. Now, if that's not the most on-the-nose explanation of exactly what Quoth is doing. Like anvil, here, take this anvil right, right now. Exactly. <laughs> like, And it's just, yes, it's so, it, it, it builds up the reader's frustration at, you know, at, at the dynamic that Quoth has going on. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a beautiful piece of storytelling. Um, yeah, very well written. And, you know, we could, we can beat on Quoth for this. And say, come on, dummy, you don't get it, you know. But he's a 16-year-old kid, you know. And I remember being in college and taking a philosophy class when I was 24, 25 years old. And having pretty much the same experience of this professor being like, you don't get it because you're trying, you know, to apply science to everything. And not everything mm-hmm. not everything can be answered with science, you mm-hmm. know. And me just not getting it. Oh, you sure. Know? You know. And again, we've had the reminder recently that for Quoth, you know, the trauma of his past life is the root of this unwillingness to let go of his waking mind, mm-hmm. you know, and he um, lived so many years with his with his waking mind really kind of paralyzed even both of his his entire mind paralyzed. Yeah. You know, and um, I see in him a fear that if he lets go, that he's going to revert to that or that just something terrible is going to happen. No, absolutely. So after the demonstration, the parable with uh, with Elodin, right. Quoth goes off and goes to the Aeolian, searches for Denna, searches and searches, and the minute that he stops searching, mm-hmm. he hears her laughter. Mm-hmm. And then he even says in his inner dialogue, it's like every time I give up looking for her, there she is. Mm-hmm. So Denna is like the wind. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. And who is she with when he finds her? So I don't know if she was with him. You no, know, yeah, yeah, she wasn't with him immediately. Mm-hmm. She's with the man with pur- purple and white, dapper, looking, looking amazing, it's Ambrose. Of course. Of course it's Ambrose. Of course it is. And then Quoth, you know, stumbles his way back to anchors, kicking rocks. Mm-hmm. You know, and now we're now we're in chapter 16. Do we have anything else for chapter 15? I don't. Okay. So now we're in chapter 16, and Quoth goes back to his room. He turns out all the lights. He puts on Dirty Dancing and watches it on a loop. <laughs> Sits there in gray sweatpants, eats bowls of cereal. Listens to the Smiths. Exactly, exactly, you know. So um, he's got his dark mood, and he's just sort of like, meh, you know. 
And then actually what he what he does to keep himself busy and not thinking about it is he really hides out in the in the archives. Right. You know, and just goes back into the archives and really kind of combs his way through continuing to look for the Chandrian and more information about the Chandrian. Right. And um, one thing I noticed that was interesting, I caught in, this is kind of an aside, but it's related because it's about the book. So in chapter 13, when he was talking about the different things that he found, he was, it, uh, there was a reference made to Dennerlings. Hmm. So like the, I don't know if they're fae or whatever mm-hmm. creatures, but some, right. some sort of creature or something called Dennerlings. Hmm. Which I thought, oh, that's interesting. How is that? Is it int- is it related to Denner resin? Are hmm. these like, are they like tree spirits, or are mm-hmm. they like, is that another word for druggies? No, I mean, I, I don't know. what is it? Right, that is interesting. Um, so that was in chapter thirteen, and then in chapter sixteen, when he he finds this uh, very old reference to the Chandrian, which we'll talk a little bit about, but in the reading there, he talk. The uh, author says something about Dannerlings, and I'm like, okay, this is at least the second time that you've referenced this. It's just interesting that that that's come around a couple times. It's like, are we supposed? Is that supposed to mean anything? Is that a subtle clue to something? Is there just a, a world building detail? I don't know, but something I picked up on. I've never picked up on that before, but I will have to look a little more into that. I mean, I Patrick Rothfuss doesn't often throw the same word out several times without it being significant. Yeah. I mean, it may not be a plot point, but it's still significant. Yeah. So yeah. then he um, he references really what he says is kind of the only interesting reference to the Chandra and he's able to find in this... Um, this uh, sort of compendium that he finds written by this uh, this uh, old researcher. Right. And are you looking it up? No. Yes. Okay. You no, know, yes, yes, no. <laughs> I'm just curious. Okay. No, but I'm still listening to you. Well, it's okay if you want to if you want to look it up if you if you want to read it. But um, but essentially what what it says is that he's you know, gone through all this effort to attempt to get people to talk about the Chandrian, to try to find information about the Chandrian. And he says, you go into a bar and, you know, for the price of a drink, you can get a town person to talk about Dannerlings right. ad nauseum. But as soon as you bring up the Chandrian, nobody will talk. Mm-hmm. And he says that one one gentleman kind of quietly pulled him aside and whispered to him and said, if you talk about them, they'll come and do bad things. Mm-hmm. As we have learned. Yes. Yeah, and this is not new information. Right, but it's just interesting. But it leads you to believe that, you know, not surprisingly, these are not, the incidences that, the incidents that Quoth has witnessed are not the only two because people wouldn't say that if there wasn't a reason for it. Correct. And I, um, I really like the actual line here in the, the excerpt that mm-hmm. that Quoth is reading um, that uh, one rather drunk Tanner in the town of Hillsborough said in hushed tones, if you talk of them, they come for you. This seems the unspoken fear of the common folk. And I find that jumps out at me because um, in, in two chapters or ch- chapter um, 16 is called unspoken fear. Ah. And that's the interlude where, 
um, Cobb and, and Graham and Carter and Jake all get together to kind of talk about Shep. And You're so good with the chapter titles. I never even read them. They're really significant um, mm. in this book. I got to pay more attention. Yeah. Yeah, I got to pay more attention. All right, so chapter 17. Where were we? We were in 16, kind of finishing that up. Is there anything else there that I missed or... Uh, Oh, you know what? I was wrong. The interlude is not called Unspoken Fear, but the next chapter is. Chapter 16. Yes. Oh, so chapter 16 is called... Chapter 16 is called Unspoken Unspoken Fear. Fear. Okay, so that's where that jumps out. No, my notes were just confusing because my handwriting was bad. Anyway, it's still interesting because that's obviously a meaningful phrase. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So chapter 17 is where they have the interlude. Yes. Damn it. I hate when I'm not as smart as I think I am. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it all comes crashing down. (laughs) In in a beautiful, fiery mess. That's what makes life interesting. (laughs) One day you're planning out all your your little plans and your your chapter titles, and the next thing you know, you inhale a milk thistle seed. That's exactly. <laughs> you nearly yeah. choke yourself to death. Totally. All right, so chapter 17 is the inner lube. Inter- <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's what she said. <laughs> how many? All right, how many times do you think we can get that in the podcast? <laughs> how many that's what she says do you think we can get? All right, so it's the inner lube. <laughs> And uh, and Quoth and Bast and Chronicler, uh, you know, are, are preparing to get ready for Old Cobb and and all the crew to kind of show up. And it's interesting that uh, Coat, you know, who is uh, talking to to uh, Bast and um, and Chronicler, sort of gives them, hey, you know, you two need to to look busy, you know, or look like you're not up to something nefarious, you know, and gives right. them roles, no, right. No, Go play your roles. Right. You know, and then, you know, Carter and the Prentice boy and old, old, um, Cobb and all that, they come in and they talk for a while and essentially they pour one out for their dead homie and then they kind of go about their way. Um, one thing that was interesting to me was that Coat, um, both would not let them drink to the king. Yeah. That, yeah. Mm. I noticed that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I like the line as well. These aren't good times to be brave. Yeah. And that's kind of how it ends is with, you know, Bass attempting to tell Quoth, oh, you were brave, you know. Right. And um, you would have had him. You'd have had him. You'd have had him, you know, (laughs) which isn't true. We know it's not true. And one of the, the, the lines that that I thought that were particularly resonant for me was when old Cobb was saying, you know, I wish, I wish it had been me instead. Right. You know, and that, uh, Shep could be home kissing his young bride instead. And then that's how the chapter ends is with quote saying, I wish I had been brave. And instead Shep would be home kissing his young wife, but that's not, it's not how it played out. Mm. So chapter 18, chapter 18, it's called Wine and Blood. Yeah. It's it's not as intense as, as the chapter title makes it sound. Well, not on the blood part, anyway. True. They do sit around and drink some wine. There's a lot of wine drinking going mm-hmm. on. 
you know. Um, so this is where the, you know the boys kind of come and get get Quoth uh, out of the archives and bring them up to the Aeolian. And it's pretty much as soon as that. Well, not as soon as they get there, but after they've been there for a little while, uh, Dennis shows up, and she's trying to duck a suitor. And so she sits down and decides to play cards with them and then then demonstrates that she's a card shark. This was, <laughs> yeah, this was the most interesting chapter for me. Yeah, the, this, why so? So the way it ends, well, I, let, let's talk about the beginning part and I'll, right. uh, and I'll, I'll get to that. I don't want to jump around too much. So, so uh, what about the beginning, beginning part with the card sharking and the ducking the do's you have any notes there no no okay well then i will jump to the end jump in so the part that's interesting to me is that sort of out of the blue denna who really hasn't shown a whole lot of interest in quoth or magic or anything like that is like all right boys tell me how this magic thing works so what's with this magic thing i want to I don't need you to show me. I don't need you to teach me. I just need to know how it works. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go back and reread all the stuff in Traven because I, I didn't have time. But I would have liked. I would like to go back and look at those chapters and see how she reacts to Quoth when he starts talking about this. But my memory is that she was pretty nonplussed about the whole thing. She certainly wasn't terribly interested. She yeah. reacted when she saw Quoth start a fire. She just kind of was like, oh, wow. Yeah. But that was it. No curiosity. Not really, no. And and he starts kind of, when he starts sort of, you know, showing off his big brain and t- starts trying to calculate things, she's just sort of like, okay, whatever. Like, she's not, she's really not interested in that. But now, all of a sudden, she wants to know. And she's trying to ply them with booze to get them to talk about the magic. Mm-hmm. And so after they've gone for quite a while with talking about how sympathy works and they talk a little bit about sigildry and all those other things, she says, well... Do you know about a magic where somebody writes something down and it becomes true? Right. And even people who can't read it, it'll become true for them. Right. And they're like, no, that's crazy. That's crazy. And then she's like, okay, well, uh, I'm out. (laughs) Right. It was all uh, so obviously pointed. Um, Yeah. And yeah, very interesting. Yeah, it was, and I have some predictions around around that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was that was definitely the most. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff. Like chapter eleven was a really cool chapter, but this was the most interesting part of it for me, as far as arousing curiosity. Yeah, the one I was like, okay, it's the one that kind of had the most meaning and caused me to be pretty suspicious. And once again, Quoth does not even wonder at this. Nope. At all. He's just like, I get a chance to show off. She brings out the stupid. I mean, she. he's just like, it doesn't, like when Lauren mentions his parents and never again does he wonder about that. Yeah. You know, 
here, yeah, here's this this very suspicious situation, and he's just like, oh man, I get a chance to show off, show what a badass I am. Uh huh. Yeah, and he he really does too because mm-hmm. he. So it's interesting to me the way this started, and it's funny. I just sort of picked up on this. So I believe it was Sims who starts talking and is the first one to really start talking to her. And he says, well, sympathy is probably the easiest to explain. Right. And then Quoth just basically overruns him. Yeah. You know, and mansplains to him. (laughs) You know, he he just cuts him right off and then just, boom, jumps in and starts explaining it, right? And, you know, good show, don't tell moment. And then later he can't help but show that he can do a quadruple binding and he can't help but show that he in a kind of you know battle of the alars he's stronger than both will and sims combined and i love that when when uh sims says uh oh watch this and then he tries to like yeah yeah and then he goes sims says come on i'm trying to show her something yeah, yeah, right. Both is like, then show her. Then go ahead. <laughs> right? I mean, he, you know. Let's arm wrestle. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so you take yours out and I'll take mine she out. She just we'll kind of brings out the jackass in him. Right? I mean, it's all like, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, so that was the most interesting part of it to me. So that's all I have for chapter 18. Anything else? No, no. Okay. And then, you know, we, we, we tacked chapter 19 on kind of at the end because it seemed the conclusion to this narrative arc here where Quoth walks Denna home then after that and they talk more about the same stuff. Yeah, I thought it was a good ending. I mean, I, I, I liked it as an, ending, as an ending point for us. It sort of worked out. When we divide these things up more by pages, we don't always get good, clean arcs. Uh, but this one I felt worked pretty well. So... As you said, they continue to have this explanation, but then Denna goes into a long explanation of her friend Jeffrey and what is going on with him. And I wondered when we first kind of met him, what this guy, what his role was. And I feel like I have it now, unless he comes back around, but I, I tend to I tend to think he won't come back around. I think he's... I think he's shown his purpose here. and But she talks a long story about how he just comes to town and just does foolish things, gets caught up in gambling, starts borrowing borrowing money. And Poor then, Joffrey. Is it Joffrey or Jeffrey? I always thought of it as Joffrey. It might be Joffrey. That's just... It's spelled Geoffrey. Yeah, but G- G-O-E-F-F is how you spell Jeff, too. Or Geoffrey. <laughs> if it's more, just you, try it my way. Okay, all right. Okay, I'll, go, I'll, I'll just go with it. I'll just go with it. So, so then she explains how he gets taken advantage of in a grift. Yeah, and we we learn how worldly she really is. Well, and then we learn that she's a grifter. Right, yeah, because she's like, when I do it, I don't. I'm not the widow. Right. I'm too young. Like, you know, just sort of lays it out there, you know? Yeah, and, and how however worldly Quoth thinks he is from having lived on the streets of Tarbian for for uh, three years, you know, he's like, oh, I know, like, markings like that mean this. And she's like, no, actually. 
Yeah. That you don't he he doesn't know anything. No. But, so it's that's yeah, it's very interesting insight into her character. Yeah. Particularly, I think it's interesting all of this being revealed directly after the interaction in the previous chapter where she's very pointedly getting information that they are really not supposed to be sharing with outsiders. Yeah, right. And, yeah, and then we find out that yeah. she's a con artist. Yeah, and with Quoth, she's playing the long con, and he's such a fool to believe. I, I'm glad we're on the same page with this. Yeah, we are. I, I, do th- I do think that Denna has... Because she's like the wind. Feel... <laughs> She rides in the night <laughs> next to me. <laughs> she leads him through moonlight. We've had two Patrick Swayze references in this podcast. <laughs> if you get one more in. It's the, tri- I, it's the Patrick Swayze it's the trifecta. Patrick Swayze trifecta. Now it, we can't stop until we find one. <laughs> oh, if only, if only I had watched Roadhouse recently. I'm sure I could <laughs> throw something in there. Or, you know, we'll come up with a good, uh, hold on, hold on. Wolverines! (laughs) That counts. All right, good. (laughs) (laughs) But so, yeah, uh, Donna's a a con artist. And I I do think, though, that she has legitimate feelings for Quoth in her own messed up way. And there's one um, part of this interaction that she has with him where she kind of looks at him sideways and says, why are the sweet ones always such idiots with women? Yeah, and I picked kind up on that looks too. looks at him pointedly. Yeah. And, and both is just like, he's like, that poor Jeffrey. He's so stupid. Geoffrey. Poor Geoffrey. What a schmuck. What a schmuck. <laughs> yeah that that oh, yeah that that caught me as well and then it, so she a couple times she kind of fidgets with her hands you know mm-hmm. in front of him and he's like oh your ring is missing and then she explains that you know some gentleman caller by the name of ambrose jagus you know was supposed to fix it for her and then when she would not return his affections he would not return her ring. And Quoth says, oh, here once again, here's an opportunity for me to show off instead of being mm-hmm. smart. Mm-hmm. Here's an opportunity for me to show off. And so now, and this is why I thought it was such a good place to end, because it allows me to once again be like, you idiot. You <laughs> idiot. What, what are you thinking he thinks he's not a gentleman. He's a thief. He's a fool. He is. He absolutely is. And this is why you really can't call this character a Mary Sue. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's he, very obviously he, yeah. deeply flawed. Yeah. It comes when across it comes to this woman through his own perspective as though he's the best thing since sliced bread. Right. But it's so, you know, when you get even to the the most shallow level of the subtext, it's very obvious that this character has got major issues. Right. <laughs> you know, and issues that cause him to do stupid things. Yep. You know, and obviously we haven't read what's going to happen, but we'll talk about it in the predictions. And I think we can, like, you know, you don't have to be a real prognosticator. You don't have to be a Nostradamus to figure out 
it's not going to go well. So, so tell me about your predictions. So I wrote down a couple predictions and pretty much all of them have to do with the whole situation with Denna. Okay. So the first one I thought is um, when Denna starts asking about all the magic stuff, it crossed my mind that whatever she's doing is clearly nefarious. And one of the things that really keyed me in on it was that she was like drawing on the table mm-hmm. while while that like they're talking and she's like drawing on the table. Now, whether she's doing like he doesn't remark on it at all other than to say that's what she does. We don't really know what she's doing, but she could be could be a uh, mnemonic device or some sort of memory device for her to remember what's being said. Mm. Um, it could be part of a knack or something else that she's got going on. Mm-hmm. I have a suspicion, and this is a little bit tinfoily, but I have a suspicion that Denna may have some sort of magical abilities or, or know about some magical abilities that people in the university don't know about. I've I've had the same suspicion. Mm, okay, gotcha. Yeah, and whether it's a knack or whether it's something larger than that, I don't really know. But mm-hmm. she was that was not absent-minded doodling for certain. Yeah, I think I've never caught that before. I think that's a really good observation. And we know that Dana can remember incredibly complex music, having only heard it a few times. Correct. Yeah. And that may, you know, that may be part of her knack thing, right? That she can recite. She might be able to go back to Master Ash and recite this entire conversation to him, mm-hmm. you know, along with all the details, which is kind of what I suspect is happening. And I feel like, I feel like she did that specifically to size up Quoth to find out just how powerful he was. You know, like to her, she's going to take this away and go, okay, he can he can do up to five bindings simultaneously. Right. And he is stronger in sympathy than two of his peers combined. Mm-hmm. She was also, I feel like, trying to maybe prompt him to say, well, you know, there's, you, you know, you can call the name of the wind or something, but he didn't go that way. But if he had mentioned it or if the other boys had said something like, Quoth called the name of the wind, you know, then she certainly would have filed that away. It also causes me to wonder if the reason why she's asking this question now is because it's after she's probably heard about what he did mm. to Ambrose. And and she has. Yeah. Yeah. So that crossed my mind as well. And then I picked up the why are the sweet ones such idiots with women? And I said, and quoth is the sweet one. Yeah. He's one of the sweet ones. And Dennis playing a long con. Uh, let's see. The other thing I said was that the shaking um, of her hand and the fidgeting, I don't think that was absent-minded. Like, I think she was doing that deliberately. To, to draw close attention. To draw close attention. Th- that might be a stretch. I don't know. I think that we can't underestimate how manipulative this character can be yeah absolutely yeah and then so okay the ring issue all right so he's gonna go and he's gonna mess with ambrose i complained not complained but i 
I brought it up last time that the comment that Quoth made at the end of book one was that the next time Ambrose struck, he would end up having to leave the university. And then the Plumbob incident happened, and so far there was no real, at least there was no fallout in terms of him having to leave the university. Right. So this ring issue is what's going to cause him to have to leave the university. Okay. That's my that's my prediction there. All right. The bastard. All good predictions. I'm really the Dana thing is starting to starting to come around to your side. Right? Right? Yeah. Something not, something going on there. Definitely something going on for sure. Okay. Is that it? That's it. Outstanding. We did it. What are we covering next week again? Chapters 20 through 25. 20 through 25. Okay. And we have some interaction from listeners that we can talk about. Woohoo. Yep. And um, actually, I'm going to do the news first because I've only got one item. Okay. So I'll do that. So fandom news. And this is um, interesting to me that today, today exactly, June 26th, you won't hear this for weeks. And I'm sure that that's, you know, I probably should have not said that date, but that's okay. I'm going to say it anyway. So today, June 26th, is the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yep. So you knew that already. Of course I did. Of course you did. I had my own little celebration earlier, (laughs) privately. Did you put the book up and a candle next to it? (laughs) You don't need to know. Uh, It's a private thing. (laughs) I wasn't here. It's between me and the book. I wasn't invited. It's all good. (laughs) All right, so um, getting on to uh, some in, some listener interactions. So one that I think you will enjoy quite a bit is that we have a brand new review Ooh. on iTunes. I love reviews. Thank you. And this one is from Izzy Kennedy. Okay. And it says, The Duke and Duchess are a hilariously witty married couple who give such a comprehensive review. The name of the wind... Uh, they yeah, excuse me, I'm having trouble reading. They gave such a comprehensive review of the name of the wind that it blew me away. Sorry for the pun. <laughs> um, their analysis is incredibly funny and engaging. I loved every minute of it. This is an awesome podcast to listen to if you're reading the book for the first time, or if you need a detailed refresher while waiting a lifetime for Rothfuss to push the final book, the publish the final book. I can't wait to read the Wise Man's Fear right along with them. Liz is able to pick up on minute details that I completely missed during my first read-through. She definitely gave me some aha moments. For those who don't have the time or commitment for a book club, this podcast is the perfect substitute. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Awesome. Is that not the sweetest thing ever? That was super sweet. Yeah. So thank you, Izzy. I'm blushing. (laughs) So thank you for that. And actually, Izzy was on Twitter today as well. And she made a comment, and she said, um, she doesn't care. She likes your charts. Thank you. Because episode 10 just came out. You're my new best friend. (laughs) I I thought that might happen. I thought she might be your new best friend. Uh, Episode 10 just came out. Always bond over charts. Where, yeah, where we talked about, we didn't think reading the charts was such a good idea. But Izzy says she doesn't care. So a couple of other interactions we had. Um. A couple from Caster Quest. Caster Quest, who actually they had to deal with some significant weather issues with the um, hurricane. Say, was it Cindy with an I? Was that what it really? was? Really? 
I think it was. I wasn't keeping up. I wasn't paying attention because it's it doesn't impact Th- us. So that I sounds like fake news. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they had some problems with it. So, and uh, she said so. Thankfully, it was okay because thankfully she knows the name of the storm. <laughs> so we got lots of good name of the wind puns this week. Keep them coming, everybody. We lo- we love it. We love it. And then also, um, also they said, um, I'm scrolling here, so bear with me. Said, oh, snap. Finding out that the D&D podcast shares the Hamilton love. And then that is when they challenged us to, this is something I have to look into and see kind of what this is all about. But they challenged us to do a ham for all video. Oh, it's on. No, we just have to sing our favorite Hamilton song. Yeah, I, I'd never heard of, heard of that. And it, it is a fundraiser. Well, the, the fundraiser it is separate. The The posting videos of your favorite song is to raise awareness for the fundraiser. Mm-hmm. So then they're also um, raising money for the, oh, gosh, what is it called? The Immigrants We Get the Job Done. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. Um, um, fundraiser. So, yeah, you can search that hashtag on twitter and and find out more about that um yeah and that's kind of what i wanted i wanted to bring some awareness to it i mean we you know for all all the dozens of listeners that we have who um but hey i want to bring it up and and um every donation to that fundraiser you also get entered into a contest to i think win hamilton tickets for the la um so that's pretty dope if you're into that sort of thing and we are which is awesome musicals absolutely um Definitely. That's a 10-star musical right there. Cannot recommend highly enough. It's pretty darn good. Every word is burned into my brain forever <laughs> and ever. That I, can I con- forget my children's names half the time. <laughs> I can confirm this is all true. <laughs> but I can wrap guns and ships probably backwards in my sleep. <laughs> oh, goodness. And then one last one here. And I know that this is super entertaining as I'm attempting to scroll through my phone to find uh, to find all this. But Did you know that the Battle of Hastings was in 1066? I did know that, actually. Because that's a fact that is burned into everyone's brain. It's the universal fact that nobody forgets from high school. You're right. It is like the one stupid, irrelevant date that you just can't get out of your head. Right? We've never talked about that before. It's not like we've ever talked about the Battle of Hastings, but... I, I think about the Battle of Hastings like constantly on a loop. I challenge you to find someone who doesn't know about the Battle of Hastings. Oh, goodness. So another interaction we had was from Travis uh, Dundas, or Dundas. I hope I'm not, and I'm sure I am mispronouncing that, but uh, on Twitter at Travis underscore D-U-N-D-A-S. And he said, really liking your podcast. Just finished episode three. Love the books, except for when Quoth finds his six-shooter and his 10-gallon hat. (laughs) <laughs> so thank you for all the interaction on twitter and um for the lovely lovely review we will ask that you know please continue to give us reviews but more importantly talk to people about us or share about us you know share about it on social media if you if you like the podcast and you want people to keep listening uh it's really the word of mouth and the talking about it that is way more important than anything else you could do for us so tell a friend pimp us out yo that's right that's right and where can they find us 
They can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. They can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess, and also on our website at the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. Yes, indeedy. And we have, well, by the time this comes up, we'll already had Stick Figure Theater number one. Is Stick Figure Recaps. Recap number one is up there. And then also we got a book review coming up, but by the time you read this or hear this, it'll already been up there. Yes. we. Um, so we're starting to just throw some book reviews up there. Um, nothing long or fancy. Um, I, well, I reviewed... think it was pretty darn fancy. I thought it was good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It was worth It was worth putting up there. Thank you. I uh, So, yeah, I reviewed uh, Ready Player One, which is a book I read um, this year and was really blown away by. Um, so it's a it's a pretty spoiler free review if you haven't read the book yet. And, and so Chad hasn't. So I tried to write it with with people in mind who might be interested in reading it. Gives you a little bit of what happens in the first chapter of the book. But other than that, it's pretty spoiler free. So um check it out and and definitely um recommend that book if you're interested yeah and ready player one may be one that it's one we've talked about maybe doing as a part of this podcast you would really like it yeah i really like it's it. definitely on the list of of ones that we will look at you know for when for when we're done here we'll see we'll see how it all plays out and i think i was about to say we should pop your sci-fi cherry but you've you've read the dune books so I've read plenty of sci-fi. Have you? No, you're right. I pretty much read the Dune series. <laughs> but that's pretty sci-fi. So Oh, no, it's very sci-fi. You have cred. You have some sci-fi cred. <laughs> no, and I read like 20 of them. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you did. I read more of the Dune universe than you really should read. <laughs> but no, Ready Player One would be a great introduction to sci-fi if you haven't um, ever read it. And uh, it's a pretty quick read. So I think we, we, may, we may do that one as well. And yeah, um, and uh, I think we'll put it out there that if folks want to, you know, what what do you guys want to hear? What what do you guys want to hear us cover? Not that we'll, you know, we'll kind of see what comes in and and what we think is is relevant. Uh, we we certainly won't be able to read everything everybody recommends to us. We we won't, wouldn't be able to do that. Um, I think we've commented several times already. I'm way too slow a reader for keeping up with something like that. But if you've got book recommendations for us, um, you know, Liz is always looking for new stuff to read. Yes, please. And if you've got, you know, things that you think we should cover, we definitely want to hear about it. We definitely want to hear what you guys have to say in terms of what you think we should cover next. Right. So, and, and just keep uh, checking the blog for these things. And um, I think we have another, I have another stick figure recap coming out this week as well. Yeah. Probably be out by the time you hear this. Um, That deals with Quoth and his, his uh, over intellectualization problem. Ah, yes, that's right. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. We're having fun. <laughs> it's super late. It is super Monday late. night. Yes. So, <laughs> so I think that's the signal to turn off the microphones. <laughs> Good right. night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> bye bye. my tree she 